Anything that can be done chemically can be done by other means. That is a quote by William S. Burroughs. Welcome to Trina Talk. Trina Talk is a weekly podcast that will inspire and empower women of all ages to strive for the impossible. Your host, Trina L. Martin from TrinaMartin.com is a motivational speaker, leader, and cybertech expert. Every week, Trina will share wisdom gained from her life experiences and lessons learned while pursuing her goals to inspire you to achieve the next level in your life. Now, your host, Trina L. Martin. Hello, welcome to Trina Talk. I am your host, Trina L. Martin, and this is episode 38. The topic this week is, you are the only one inside of you. My guest this week is Carrie Hummingbird. Carrie is a soul guide. She has served as a social activist, leader, and philanthropist for over three decades. She is the founder of the Skills Nap Pills movement and host of Soul Nectar Show. Carrie inspires people to lead their lives wide awake with authenticity, passion, and purpose that positively impacts others. Hi, Carrie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Trina. It's so good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I am glad to have you here. You are an amazing woman. You are doing a lot. You're an author, you're a speaker, you're a podcaster like I am. Tell the listeners what got you to the place where you are today. A total 90 degree turn. <laughs> so yeah. So today I I do spiritual mentoring and I, you know, like you said, I have my own podcast. I inspire people. I teach a reinvent yourself program. And so I help people to do all that kind of stuff. And all of that came because I completely reinvented myself. I did a 90 degree turn. And before all of this yumminess that I'm now experiencing, I had about uh, 20 years as a technical writer behind a desk in Silicon Valley uh, describing how to use computer software, you know, like click this button <laughs> and then this happens and this window happens and choose this option. So yeah. really dry, truly dry technical stuff because I had a really, a lot of other stuff going on in my life that was difficult to get my arms around. I had uh, about the same amount of time sitting on a psychotherapist couch uh, talking about all of my problems and why it was that I was to blame for everything that was going on in my life and my relationship and why it was that I needed to like modify myself to be acceptable. And uh, there was a lot of stuff going on and I needed help processing it. So I guess I had a really boring job so I could process all the really dramatic stuff that was going on in my personal life. Wow. So if you don't mind sharing, what kind of um, drama and things that you had going on in your life that you felt that you needed to uh, seek out therapy for? So what's really interesting is that um, I'll just preface this by saying, I don't know if anybody's listening out there that that was raised on soap operas, but uh, 
my mother mm -hmm. loved soap operas and still loves them to this day. So, you know, 45 years of soap operas. And I, uh, you know, it's kind of how my brain was trained when I was young because I would want to, you know, we all want to do what our parents are doing, right? We want to tune into that. And if you look at television today, you know, I think that the paradigm is just totally continued. Um, but what happened was my brain really got conditioned by a lot of drama. And um, not only that, but I had a lot of feelings that I didn't know how to process. So by the time I turned 15, um, with all this mixed bag of stuff, um, latchkey child and um, a lot of patterns in my uh, upbringing, early, early trauma, zero to five, early trauma um, with my first uh, natural father and my first stepfather, a lot of, you know, change and trauma in my early life. And by the time I turned 15, like everything came to a head. And I uh, was dating a boy that my parents didn't approve of. And I got caught at home with him. My dad came home early. And that caused me to, um, to really kind of lose myself. And my dad couldn't face me and couldn't talk to me. So I ended up um, making a, a plea for attention like a lot of teenagers do. And I took a bunch of pills. So what ended up happening from that is I ended up in a psychotherapist's, actually a psychiatrist's office, right? Because when you do that kind of thing, that's where you go. And that kicked off a lifetime journey of fixing me. So um, weekly psychotherapy sessions, diagnosis. My first diagnosis is manic depressive. You know, that she's just way emotional. She's dramatic. Um, she's, she's got too many uh, fluctuating emotions and she needs to stabilize it. And that's what's causing all the problems is she's got some kind of like inherent flaw that says that she's, uh, you know, she's just too emotional. And I believed it. Um, and so I started going to all these therapies trying to fix myself. And I believed that I was somehow unacceptable. And psychotherapy as a modality, uh, the kind that I pursued because I didn't really know what other options were available, was talk therapy. And in the talk therapy, you kind of go and you tell your story and you tell it again and you tell it again and you tell it again. And every week you tell it again. And when you keep telling that same story, you reinforce the story and you believe it even more. So 20 years of sitting on a couch talking about that story and the latest version of it got me a bigger diagnosis. And by now I kind of earned it because I was really acting dramatic I was cheating on my husband. Um, we had two small boys, and I was like going off on art show trips and just going wild, and coming back and you know basically saying I I can't stop myself. I don't know why I'm doing this. Um, and going back to psychotherapy and talking about it again. Uh, the diagnosis this time was borderline personality, and that's not a very fun diagnosis. Uh, so when years ago when Wikipedia had a description of it, it was like. Glenn Close in that movie, Fatal Attraction, you know, boiling the rabbit in the, uh, in the water on the stove of the man she's like trying to date and her, his wife's in the house and, you know, that kind of crazy dramatic stuff. So um, my self-worth just pretty much went through the floor and because I had this belief that I, I was inherently flawed and that I was unlovable and unworthy and it was playing out every week on the couch for 20 years. And getting worse. 
So at the end of this cycle of my life, eight years ago, I pretty much reached rock bottom. And I got to this place where I was like, you know what? If I'm inherently flawed and I'm just a total waste of space, then I might as well just be that and forget all this talk therapy. <laughs> you know, like I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I'm just going to be bad. And that was kind of the decision I made. I left my ex-husband. I walked out. And the interesting thing is I felt instantly better. I felt instantly better not talking about it anymore. I felt instantly better leaving my relationship. And what happened was I actually ended up meeting this um, person who was a yogi instructor. And he, I liked him because he, uh, he did yoga. I'd never done yoga before. And here's this guy and he's playing Led Zeppelin while doing vinyasa yoga. <laughs> I thought that was so cool. And I thought, you know what, this guy, this guy's cool. You know, like I actually want to know what he thinks. And he did spiritual counseling, spiritual mentoring, which I didn't know what that was. So I started talking to him and I was like, okay, I feel like I need a spiritual mentor, but I don't want psychotherapy. And I want somebody to help me move forward, not backward. And I don't want to stay stuck anymore. And so would you be my mentor? And he said he would. And it was my first turning point because he did something that all of those years of psychotherapy, not, nobody ever did. He called me on my bullshit. Like I brought to him some big thing like I thought I was all righteous about. And he looked at me and he said, you're doing that. And not one person in 20 years had told me that. They just let me sit there and tell my story. Nobody tried to get me out of the story. Nobody tried to convince, you know, to, to give me a tool or a strategy or like next week you can't tell that story. You have to tell it differently. Nobody did that, but he did that. And that led to a change, right? That led to a shift because I can't be who I am anymore. Okay, he's telling me it's, that I'm doing it, I'm creating it, that I'm creating my whole reality. And nobody ever told me that before either. I'm creating my whole reality. So as a result of that conversation, um, I had another opportunity come into my field, and this was the most significant opportunity that really catalyzed the rest of my journey, is that I had this conversation with this woman who I was going to yoga with, and she said, um, that she had gotten this healing from, from a shaman. And I was like, what's that? <laughs> what's the shaman? And she kind of told me what it was. And she said that she was never the same after she had this healing. I said, all right. So I went home that night and I Googled shaman in Austin. And I found a man who was a shamanic practitioner in Austin. His name is Gary Starnes. And he runs this Austin shamanic community. And so I, I booked a session with him. And he had a program that he still runs uh, called Spirit Paths, and I signed up for it. And I was a total wreck. He actually interviews you to make sure that you're in a good spot for it. So I went and told him my whole drama, and he's like, I'm like, will you even accept me in this program because I'm a complete screw-up? <laughs> you know, like I completely screwed up everything in my life, and I'm inherently flawed and all of this. And he's like, you're perfect. <laughs> that was the first time anybody was like, you're perfect for this program. So I went into the program, and within about a month, I got a healing. And in that healing session, everything changed. So tell me what shaman 
is. (laughs) (laughs) So the way I define shaman today is a person who is able to straddle the worlds. So they're able to straddle the physical reality and the logical reality with the spiritual reality, the subconscious reality, the total nonsensical, non-logical reality that um, many of us have glimpses of, but it's difficult to keep focus on it because it wants to slip away back into the shadow. And so the shaman is a person that can see clearly through the shadow and can hear the messages that you need to hear to get you into a new relationship with what you're experiencing so you can make progress and move forward. Hmm. That's, that's very interesting. Um, so I have a question. So you, you said that, you know, you tried to commit suicide when you were young and I, I, I assume your parents put you into the psychotherapy, correct? Yeah. They put me in with to psychiatry. They went straight to the, the guns. Okay. <laughs> you know? So you, yeah. you continued on for 20 years. What, what made you do that? Because I kept getting reinforced messages of how I was showing up in my family or in my relationships wasn't good enough. So here's a really interesting thing that I've learned after eight years of energetic work to shift my consciousness and a lot of spiritual development work to come into appreciate myself and to have self-love. The biggest thing I've realized is that there's something called a family system. And in the family system, whenever someone's like one person is having all the problems in the family system, like that black sheep, I like to call that person the rainbow sheep now. (laughs) That's how I really think of that person now. Hmm. But the black sheep in the family, the one that just can't fit in and has all the problems. And everybody in the family is like, oh, yes, this person's definitely having trouble and we need to help this person. And this person needs to go to therapy because they're the ones having all the problems. Usually that person is just the weak link in the chain that's revealing the shadow of the family. So there's a lot of underlying dynamics that are happening in the family system that this one person who's too sensitive, too emotional, too perceptive is not able to just stuff it and cope. They actually are being affected by it and they can't hold it in. So what they're revealing is the underlying dynamic of the family system. Hmm. And you know what? That, that makes sense to me. Um, it just, yeah, it just does. It, it, it really makes sense because you're, you're right. The quote unquote black sheep is usually the one that is, like you said, acting out or actually some kind of way showing what's really going on in, in the household. So that's, that's interesting that you say that. Now, you said that you finally met someone who basically called you on it and said, look, no. You, you know, you're you're telling this this story, and it's funny because we do we we believe the stories that we tell ourselves, right? 
um, not so much of what other people say to us, it's what we say to ourselves that really kind of um, damage us. So when someone told you that, when your yoga instructor said, eh, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm calling it, I don't believe this, what did you do? Um, how did you feel? And did you take any steps after that to say, okay, let me rewrite the story that I'm telling myself? Well, you know how when somebody speaks truth, it like moves through your whole body mm-hmm. and you can't argue with it? That's what that moment was for me. My jaw hit the floor, basically. <laughs> and I looked at him and I was like, wow. And almost like the layers peeled back. And I could see that he was absolutely correct in so many ways. So what had happened was that I had gotten myself in a dynamic with someone that I was trying to manipulate their love because that's how I learned to do things, right? We talked about the drama and we talked about the pattern that I learned how to become Mm -hmm. in my family system. And I was trying to manipulate this person and this person wasn't going to be manipulated, you know, like he wasn't going to do it. And when my coach pointed that out to me, all of a sudden I realized, wow, okay, I have done that because I have like 20 years of psychotherapy on the couch, right? So if somebody tells me truth, I know how to navigate that and find it. So I, I immediately went, all right, you're right. I am addicted to manipulating this person for whatever reason. So I need to figure out why. Like, what am I doing this for? Why am I doing this? Hmm. And so I went deeper than I'd ever went in any psychotherapy. I went deeper into the why. And I know there's some models of psychotherapy that do go into the, you know, the deep recesses of your mind. But a lot of them, the basic talk therapies usually don't go there. So when I went into the shamanic program, though, that I was telling you about, this uh, spirit paths, this also helped me to start unpacking that because I started realizing, like one of the first books that we, that we read was uh, The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. I don't know if you've heard of that book, but no. it's a really, it's like it spells out in really clear language four basic principles for living that... Um, when you start to look at relationships, you see how um, if you implemented these four agreements, things would be a lot more, uh, lo- a lot less entangled and they'd be more clear. And the four agreements are don't take anything personally, don't make assumptions, uh, have integrity with your word, and do your best. And it sounds really simple. Then you go to not take it personally. So a lot of my trouble in uh, my relationships had been um, gaslighting. So in the family system, there was a lot of gaslighting. Mm -hmm. And the gaslighting um, was effective with me because I made assumptions and I took everything personally. Okay, so I'm going to interrupt you there. So I know what gaslighting is before our listeners tell them what gaslighting is. So gaslighting is when you are in a relationship with someone where in every scenario that gets presented in the relationship, you are the one who is made to be at fault. 
And the other person is never claiming any of the responsibility because the story keeps shifting to put you in responsibility. So no matter what you say in response to someone, they always come back with something that puts you back in responsibility and they're responsibility free in the situation. So the gaslighting is sort of um, a way of disempowering your trust in your own intuition and your own um, perception of a situation. And when you're gaslit by somebody who has authority over you as a child, what happens is that you, um, your brain is formed with the idea that your perception of reality is flawed, that you actually don't know what's happening because this person is always telling you the new story so that anytime you think you know what's happening, they come back around and discredit your perception of the situation. And then there's usually punishment on top of that to reinforce that you don't know what you're talking about. Is that a pretty good description? Cause you know what it is too. So yes, that's, a, that's exactly it. And I would have gone even further to say kind of like they were projecting onto you um, to make you seem like you're crazy and you don't know what's going on. So they're, it is same thing you said, basically getting down to it. They're, they're liars. <laughs> yeah. And that's, what's so hard because, um, cause there's also nothing's ever a hundred percent one way or another, you know? So there's this unreliable aspect where sometimes there's a good interaction and that's feels loving and kind. And then there'd be the opposite reaction. So those things get tangled up in your brain. And so that's one of the things that I learned about when I went on my path of healing in the spiritual path, because I learned about um, the four agreements. And then I learned about energy and how energy entangles people together. Um, I learned about uh, codependency as an energetic structure. And I started learning about how I could step out of entanglement with other people's versions of reality and I could learn how to tune into my station and get accurate, true information for myself that doesn't depend on anybody else to agree with it. And as I started to do that, I, I learned how to tap in to my higher power and I learned how to tap into the earth for grounding so I could support myself and feel safe. And as my nervous system relaxed, I could listen better. And as I learned to listen better, I started to be able to realize through my training that I was actually really accurate on my assessments of what was going on with other people. So there's another layer to this that I'll talk about now just to illuminate that. For anybody out there who's like, yeah, I always thought I knew what was going on, but then I was always gaslit and, gaslit and told that I didn't know what I was talking about or I was crazy. A lot of times this happens to empathic people, happens to people that are really tuned in, happens to people that can feel and perceive things like you know when someone's upset or you, you can feel when someone's not being completely honest. And when you're gaslit, you're told to ignore what you feel because you're told that you're just crazy. But when I went through my training, 
with my energy medicine school, we had to practice on each other. And I was practicing with people that were willing to be vulnerable and honest. And as I practiced with people who were willing to be vulnerable and honest and I shared my intuitive insights, I was right on most of the time, like the majority of the time. I was right on. And I learned something new about myself through that process was that I did know a lot of things that were going on. I did have accurate intuition and insight and perception. It's just that my brain had been trained to think that I didn't know what was going on. And my brain had been trained to, to tell myself, to tell myself that I was crazy. And my brain had been trained to discredit myself over and over and over again, which led to a lot of challenges in my life, in my relationships, in my business, raising my children, like in every area you could imagine, had an impact because I wasn't taught how to trust my own intuition. That's funny you touch on that because I'm big on intuition and that's something that I try to live my life by. I try to be still and actually really feel what's going on in my body and not so much, um, what do you want to say, uh, overanalyzing, but actually truly tapping into how I feel. And I've noticed that when I do listen to that, I'm spot on, just like you were saying. And when I try to say, well, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm reading too much into it or, or I just totally dismiss it. That's usually when things don't work so well for me. <laughs> so yeah. with, with that, I mean, because you said you kind of had where you always told yourself that you were, you're crazy and you, you had this story that you told yourself and basically it was from upbringing in that situation that you kind of just kind of kept reliving telling yourself over and over again, what and how, how soon did you realize that, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is the path I need to go on. And what specifically did you do? And I know you said it, it, it helped you when you get finally got to the place where you are, it helped you in your, your relationship and with your children and things like that. What are some of the things that you did that were negative that you didn't realize it until you came to the place you came to be? That's such a good question. Um, gosh, you know, Trina, it has been an unveiling one layer at a time of the of the remembering of who I really am. And it's been an unveiling of a revealing process, actually, of the damaging um, self-destructive patterns. Um and I still learning even now, like I still learn more layers, like it goes deeper and deeper. I'm kind of amazed at how deep it goes um, because we're talking about foundational identity of a child. You know, we're talking about your foundational childhood identity that got planted in your brain from the time you were born. So um, how do, what are some of the things I realized? Here's a really simple one that people, that I notice a lot of women saying, and it's super disempowering, and it's automatic. And it's these three little words, I don't know. People, women, I hear them using them all the time. They'll say, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I'm not know, I'm not sure, I don't know. And so what I like to do with my clients is, and what I've done with myself is I say, 
let's replace I don't know with I'm in the process of knowing. Because your brain is not going to argue with I'm in the process of knowing. You are in the process of knowing. You might not know right now, but you are in the process of knowing. And that's one way to take a little baby step in every moment to um, stop discrediting yourself. And I notice that this happens a lot in intimate relationships, um, definitely um, where there's a challenge, let's say, by the masculine figure, the, per, the, ma the, the father figure in the family, um, that the, the woman who's the mother will often discredit her own knowing by saying, I don't know, I'm not sure. And um, you do know, actually, women have a lot of powerful gifts of wisdom inside their wombs and inside their hearts that is a very powerful knowing. And that knowing often conflicts with the prevailing customs of our times, but it's accurate. And when it's trusted, it leads to really good things after an initial, you know, conflict. So that now that leads to second, the second thing is avoiding conflict. So being a pleaser. Um, a lot of the way that I survived um, my upbringing in my life, uh, because I, I married, my first person I married was a replica of my childhood environment. I didn't realize it at the time because it was really alluring, you know, and I was in love and I, there was the sparks across the room and everything like that. And um, if I'd have only meant to energy medicine school, I would have heard my teacher Alberto say, when you see the lightning across the room and the other person run, because that person probably killed you in another life and you need to run the other way. Mm -hmm. If I'd have only known that, but I didn't, I thought it was love at first sight. Um, so not wanting to create conflict, not wanting to, um, have a problem, not wanting to, um, be in a place of discomfort, therefore leads to strategies to avoid a conflict or avoid an argument. And those strategies are not authentic and they're not honest and, eventually employing a strategy like being a pleaser, like just kind of pleasing to get through or pleasing to manipulate the outcome you want. Eventually, if you don't get what you want, underneath it is resentment. So that was another one where I just tripped myself up time and time again by not being willing to just stand in my truth and speak my truth no matter what the outcome was going to be. And that leads to another really deep one where – is the biggest one of all, is requiring or thinking that someone, that some other person is the source of your love. So when I realized that my life had been spent in codependent relationships, trying to get love from other people that could wrap me around and twist me up in knots by not providing the love, I realized that um, the biggest way I betrayed myself was thinking that the love was ever out there. In fact, the love is only ever inside me, connected to my higher, my higher power. That's the only place the love is. 
I know that was a lot. <laughs> no, I'm I'm listening and I I really I was taking notes. I love that what you said as far as the love is within you because I think women and I have done it myself. We like you said and and I grew up with low self-esteem and wanting to please others and not knowing my worth, but you go and you look for someone else to make you happy, to love you when really you should be trying to make yourself happy because you have to be whole before you go to anyone else. And if you're happy, you're not looking for someone to make you happy. You're looking for um, uh, somebody to compliment you. And I like what you were saying about the guy who said, if you see the the thunderbolt across the room to run, (laughs) because in essence, we, we all have seen that thunderbolt, right? But we have chosen to ignore it. And then when we do, we're in a whole world of, you know, hurt, shame, blame, guilt, whatever. And I think that's important. And I think women, we do, we get kind of caught up in that. And we're not honest to ourselves when we do. But I think when you saying that was very, very real. And I think that someone is going to get the message with that, because you do, you need to only look towards, you know, look within yourself for the love. But my question that I have for you is when you started, when you finally realized you said, okay, I'm not crazy. I have been repeating the same old story to myself. I'm a manipulator. And and now I want you to get into how you actually manipulated people. But when you started to better yourself, what did your family say or do? Because I mean, with them doing what they did when you were young and knowing that you were in therapy and that you were telling yourself this all your life, when you start to change and shift and you're going in the opposite way and you're having a different perspective on your life and you're feeling good about yourself, I want to know what was the outcome with your family? Disbelief. And you're crazy. (laughs) Believe it or not, because here I am making all these connections and realizing all these things and, you know, getting certified, you know, getting certified in healing and training and coaching and spiritual mentoring and all these things, right? And then practicing with people who are getting amazing results, like people out there in the world that I meet, you know, and they come in and they, they work with me and they're getting all these amazing results. They're like, Oh my God, thank God. Thank you. Thank you so much, Carrie. And of course I'm doing my best not to let my feed my ego. Right. Cause I got to stay clear, but at home in my family of origin, they think I'm crazy and they don't believe it. And they're like, why would anybody get anything from you? Like, that's crazy. Cause you're definitely been in psychotherapy for, and you have all these diagnoses and, you know, I can't understand why people are believing you and, and like literally naysaying every single thing I'm doing. And you know what? That's interesting <laughs> to me that they would rather stick with the negative story. Right. Instead of saying, wow, okay, great. This is a totally different you and be supportive of that. It, you know, it's just, it's amazing to me how, some people, and that could be family or friends that don't like it when they see you doing better. Well, because it's back to the the family system we were talking about, Trina. Because if I'm better and I'm a good element 
and I'm productive and helpful and I'm viewed in a positive light, then who's going to own all the disowned crap of the family system? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who's going to take responsibility for it? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. This is taking eight years to figure out, Trina. It's a total mind screw. You know, and, and <laughs> that what you <laughs> just said just kind of hit me to my core because, yeah. and, and, and I'll tell you this very briefly, but I had an abusive mother who basically, yeah, stumped on my, my self-esteem, my self-worth. And I kind of was like you. I never knew my worth. I always looked for someone. to. That, I remember growing up going, you know, I want to find somebody to love me. I want to find somebody to love me. And I struggled throughout my life to try to heal myself, I guess you can say. And, and I'll, I'll never forget, I must have been in my uh, late 20s, early 30s or whatever. So finally, I think I went to a therapist or something and they were like, oh, um, write your mother a letter to tell, tell her how you feel and all the things she's done, blah, blah, blah. So I said, okay. I went and I, I did that. I mailed it to her. And I have two brothers. My eldest brother, he and I are very close. We're very much alike. My brother that is next to me, um, no, we're not. And he's very much like my mother. But it's funny when I wrote this letter to her telling her all the things she did and how she's made me feel. Of course, she takes it to the brother that is like her and goes, oh, my God, look at this. Look what, look what she's saying about me. Blah, 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 blah. And this brother took it upon himself to tear up my letter and tell me, oh, I tore that letter up. I can't believe you said I'm going, who are you to tear up a letter and dismiss how I feel and what I'm telling her she has done to me. But now that you're saying it, yeah, they, they didn't want to hear that because that's, that was them, you know, that, that, that was them. That was the environment they had made and they were, they saw themselves and they didn't want to accept their responsibility in that negativity that they played in my life. Yeah. And the thing that we'll all, they'll often say is, well, um, like, <laughs> yeah, this, this was one of the members of our family said this to me who actually has studied psychology. So I was like, you have a little bit more work to do, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but she said, well, if one person has a problem with every person in the family, then it's definitely that one person. And when I found the, fi the family systems, um, psychotherapy, I was like, this makes total sense to me. This makes complete sense because Nothing operates in a vacuum. Everything operates in a group setting. And collectively, we all, you know, at the bigger level, we all operate collectively too. So there's different elements of our society that don't get along with different, the other elements, right? And everybody wants to blame it on each other. So it's, it's just a bigger picture of the family system. So I learned about my role in the family system when I participated in one of my spiritual groups for a year. We had a group, a year-long program. There were 30 of us. And the, the um, program models it like a family. So you end up seeing mirrors of yourself and other people and mirrors of people in your family. So it's really fascinating work. And near the end of that work, I had one of the members tell me, he said, Carrie, you know, my wife does family systems work. And I wanted to let you know that you're actually playing a role. And I was like, I'm very curious. Like, what's the role I'm playing? He said, you process everyone's disowned stuff. All the stuff that they don't process or don't own. You're the one that claims it. And that's why when we do healing ceremonies, you have so much of a hard time. 
because you're processing the load for like a lot of other people in the room that won't face their own stuff. Mm. That blew me away. And then I realized that I was doing that in my family system, which is why I was always the one that was having like an overwhelm and, you know, like, um, all the various issues is because other people in the family, they weren't like my ex-husband. He didn't go to psychotherapy for himself. He didn't do that because the problem wasn't him in his mind. He had pinned it all on me. So, you know, this was a repeating pattern. So the thing to do as an empathic person, if, if you, you know, if you're finding this, if anybody's listening, who's like, this is me. Oh my God. You know, like, wow. Um, the thing to do is really get some uh, training and some empathic skills to learn how to shield your energy, how to ground yourself, how to – the grounding part will help you deal with the emotional fluctuations in your field. Um, it will help you uh, to shield, will help you to become aware of who you are versus other people, and will also help you with discernment to know, like, is this my stuff? Or is this someone else's stuff? And then for the stuff that's yours, of course, take responsibility for it. Like I've taken full responsibility for my energetic field and my life and for my sons because I'm a mother. I take responsibility for that and I do my personal work on it. But I no longer take responsibility in my upline. You know, that's not my responsibility actually. And so I push that back over the door and I push it back in the house of that other space. And I say, this actually belongs to you. That's not mine. And I don't, I'm not going to process that anymore. So do you talk to your family now? I have, um, gone back and forth on this. Cause I know you understand. I'm sure you understand the back and forth nature of this. Um, there's such a pull to be part of your, of your family of origin. Mm-hmm. But when these dynamics are happening, Um, it's actually very um, self-destructive to keep putting yourself in a line of sight of somebody who's not ever wrong and who always places the blame on you for situations. And especially as um, the way that it triggers your child mind and your inner child um, is really, I thought for a while that I was strong enough to handle that. And so I would keep going back in and then keep getting the torrent of like abuse coming my way. And um, about a few months ago is actually when I finally came around to decide no more like that. I'm not crossing that threshold again. I am a stand for myself and my inner child and protecting my inner child, which I think is the ultimate act of self-love that you can have is to really honor that as a first priority. And not that I don't, um, not that I don't send prayers and not that I don't, cause I do, I send prayers. I send, I send love, but I also don't step over all of that to forgiveness, which I think is something that religion often trains us to try to do is to get right to forgiveness. But I think that's like, I know that that is stepping over so much territory that it's, it's basically a spiritual bypass. So I really, um, for my own journey and for people that work with me on this, I encourage people to really first be with the feelings, like really honor and be with the feelings, set the boundary, and then really tend to yourself, like tend to your own garden 
be with all the difficult feelings, all the difficult realizations, really track that in your consciousness, heal it within yourself as a priority. And then, you know, if you heal it sufficiently and you get to a place where you really feel like you can hold your inner child and you can heal yourself and hold yourself through interaction with someone who's holding the line that there's nothing wrong on their end, then that's a personal choice to go back into that space. I'm not currently in the space. I know that I'm not, that I can open myself up to that. And I'm glad you were honest with that because many times people always say, oh, you know, forgive, 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 forgive. And yes, it is good to forgive, but it takes a process to get there, especially when someone's done you wrong. And and I agree with what you're saying as far as healing yourself, getting yourself right. And then then maybe at some point you can actually find it in your heart to forgive. But I and you know, and I used to be the person that said, oh, no, I'm not going to forgive. Them. I'm not going to forgive them because I thought that forgiving them would totally vindicate them of what they've done to me. But now I've since learned that, okay, forgiving them is not forgetting what they've done and they don't get off easily. It's just that for my peace of mind, I'm not going to keep reliving something. And that's kind of how I have to handle um, my brother, the one that I'm not close to, because um, for many years, you know, things that he had done had kind of really upset me. But now I'm at the point where I'm going, you know what? I see him and he's living in his own personal hell. So I'm like, I'm not going to be that person. You're not going to come into my space. I'm not going to present you with a present, which is me being miserable like you. So I remember everything that was done and said, but I don't give it any space in my life anymore. And I'm much happier about that. And I, <clears throat> yeah, I really like that you said that because a lot of what happens when you've been a child raised in a in an environment where it's not safe in this way is that your brain gets trained to look outside of you and scan other people constantly to figure out like how they're going to behave and are they going to be nice this time? Or are they going to be mean this time? And what's going to happen? And that pattern to retrain that is to put the focus all back on yourself and not look over the fence anymore over there. Like it's not, that reality is not your reality. Your reality is right here with you and it's valid and, and it's true for you and their reality is true for them and that's fine. But, um, but I think it's really an act of self-love to keep bringing the focus and the attention back on yourself to really be present with how you're feeling and what you want for your life. And if that boundary needs to be there in order for you to achieve your dreams in your life, then I think it's an act of self-love to put the boundary there. Oh, I agree. So how are things with you today? How, how has everything kind of come full circle for you and what you're doing in your life and how do you feel about yourself? Well, I am amazed. Um, just how everything I've learned in my life is contributing to the work I do now. It's, you know, the intricate design of your life by the creator is fascinating. And I find myself in total fascination with it for my own, for my own life, but then also everybody I work with. So I, my job is 
pretty awesome compared to how it used to be. It used to be really boring um, being a technical writer. But now I get to work with people and I get to, you know, channel insights. I get to be a, the, the most sacred witness and I get to help people to navigate that, you know, that maze through their life. And that is really fulfilling. And I love my show. Like I love podcasts like this, like even this, like this for me is super fulfilling to have a conversation like this. I love this kind of conversation. I do it on my show as well. And I am in a really beautiful love partnership. Um, married again. Um, my husband met me three years ago as I was leading a fire walk. So I lead, I lead people to walk across hot coals and he met me there. He came to the fire walk and he saw me in my true self and he fell in love. And, and then I saw him in his true self and I fell in love with him. And so this has been a completely different dynamic than I ever experienced and it's beautiful. And so I'm really grateful for, um, for his presence in my life. Um, he's also a father. So I have two, uh, stepchildren now as well as my two boys. So we have four kids and there's six of us living in my house, which used to have three people and it's super crowded and sometimes it's inconvenient and it's fantastic. And, um, I'm learning every day. So I'm, I'm in, I'm always in a space of growth. And for me, like that is also really fulfilling is to be always learning, always growing, always expanding, you know, always finding out more about this thing called life and continuing the process to evolve. So I'm, I think life is pretty great. I mean, it definitely has its bumps, but I think the thing about um, having gone through everything I've gone through and all the things that I've invested in to learn is that I have such a huge toolbox to draw on now. So when things happen, I'm able to make gold out of it instead of, instead of create, you know, I get to use my power of my word to create beauty is what I'm trying to say. I get to use my, my word now and my storytelling to create something beautiful for myself and others. And that is a huge gift. Wow. So that is great. And that's going to lead us into my 10 questions for you. Are you ready? I am. Okay. Who or what motivates you? What am I motivated by? I'm motivated by inspiration. Okay. Um, what demotivates you? Naysaying. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm learning not to listen to any of that. <laughs> okay. When was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked out for your good? I think that could explain pretty much my entire life. I'm trying to pull out one specific example. Um, yeah, okay, well, let's just go with the crazy label. So, um, you know, my mom calling me crazy repeatedly and calling me crazy in front of my sons definitely was not um, a very pleasant experience. But actually, it was exactly the medicine I needed because now I know that I can trust my own intuition and my own insight. and. I can see the craziness in the world and I can help people navigate that. So it was actually a really beautiful challenge to, for me to know myself in truth. Hmm. What is your fear? What is my fear? Hmm. You know, I don't have a lot of fear anymore. Like I don't have... Fear that 
comes up for me anymore. I guess I've just come to this place where I know that whatever's happening is for my good. Um, and I guess if I had any fear, it would be that I didn't do everything that I could do to fulfill my purpose in this life. But I also know that that's not true because I am every day doing that. So every time I have a fear, it's like instantly dispelled, you know, because I can see through it. It's not true. Okay. Is there a time when you wished you had done something that you didn't? Time that I wish. Yes, actually, I do. I offer myself compassion for this, but during the eight years that I was um, learning all of this spiritual concepts and energy healing and healing myself and doing all this personal work, I was also a single parent raising um, my two sons. And I sometimes feel like my middle, my son, my younger son, um, didn't get as much attention as he needed from me. And that I didn't stop in his room enough. I didn't check on him enough. He was always the one that was like, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm good. And so he was the one that didn't ask for support up front. And I needed to turn more attention to him. And so that is one one area that I would do it differently if I was to do it over again. Okay. Is there a time that you wish you had not done something? I wish I had not done something. There's a lot of things I've done that I could say I wish I hadn't done them. And if I hadn't done them, though, I wouldn't be the person I am today. So I think I'm at a level of acceptance that everything I've done is actually perfect, even though at the time and now looking at a case-by-case thing, you might look at something I've done and go, wow, that was crazy. Why'd you do that? I think that all of it was important for my journey. So uh, no, I think I'm good. Okay. What is your definition of success? My definition of success is fulfilling my sole purpose and um, staying on target with that and staying true to that and aligned with it and doing everything I can every day to, to do what I can to do what I came here to do, to fulfill it. Okay. How do you recharge? I love to do um, Solfregio frequencies. So I listen to uh, Meditative Mind has a really good one on YouTube that's got all nine Solfregio frequencies. And I like to sit with my crystals and close my eyes and listen to that. And it's very peaceful and ascending. Okay. What are you awesome at? I am awesome at navigating the space between the worlds and helping people to bridge their higher selves with their physical reality and to create shift in their lives for something uh, to navigate their life a little bit better and to align to their highest possibility. Okay. What legacy do you want to leave? I... Uh, would love for my words and my mentoring and all the things that I do with people, whether they listen to a show or whether they read my book or 
they um, participate in in mentoring with me, I I would like to have touched their life in such a way that they were able to fulfill their destiny, and and then I would like that also for my children, of course, um, that they learned a lot and that they're able to live life in the best possible way as a result of having been mentored by me. Hmm. That's my legacy is other people's success. Oh, wow. Okay. So that completes our 10 questions. Harry, give the listeners one motivational takeaway. My motivational takeaway is that you are the only one inside of you. Therefore, you are the only one that is privy to the conversation with your higher power and the perception that you're having in your life and all of the emotions and all of the thoughts and all of the knowings and all of the experiences that you're having. And so therefore you are the only one that can validate or invalidate your own reality. And so my encouragement is to not let anybody else tell you who you are because you are the only one that knows the truth of who you are. Mm, that was really good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was hard earned. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was good. Um, tell the listeners how they can connect with you and your social media platforms. Absolutely. So I am on Facebook as Carrie Hummingbird. Also, Soul Nectar Show is on Facebook. Instagram, you can find me at Carrie Hummingbird and Twitter. I have a YouTube station, Carrie Hummingbird. And my Soul Nectar podcast is at soulnectar.show. And my website is carriehummingbird.com. And that's K-E-R-R-I hummingbird.com. Okay, Carrie. Well, hey, I thank you so much for being on the show. I really enjoyed speaking with you. And hopefully we can meet soon and um, have a connection there. Yeah, I would love to. You live in Houston. I live in Austin. And I'll be out there soon for my new book tour. So I'll see you in person. Yeah, you'll have to tell me so I can, I can come out there to wherever you are. Yay, that's awesome. Well, hey, have a great day. Thank you. You too. If you like Trina Talk, please don't forget to go out to Apple Podcasts to rate and review. I want to hear from you. So if you're loving it, please let me know what you think. Let me know if there's any suggestions and how I can better serve you to give you that motivation and inspiration that you need. Also, who else in your life do you know that needs motivation and inspiration? Share the podcast with them as well. I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. Keep striving because success is a journey, not a destination. You can listen to Trina Talk anytime and anywhere. It's available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and all other places that you can listen to podcasts. If you like the podcast, please don't forget to go to iTunes to subscribe, rate, review, and share. If you have questions for me or need inspiration on how to go to the next level, tweet me directly at Trina L. Martin.